A disclaimer to our audience, this week's episode heavily focuses on the topic of pornography. For our younger audience, please consult a parent or a guardian before continuing the episode. Welcome to Living Fullness, a podcast where two unusual friends explore all things friendships, relationships, and the Christian life. My name is Dina Constantine. And I'm Father Sean Burns. And each month, we bring you a guest, someone who will share their experience and strengths with us, helping us to learn, grow, and live life to the full. back to Living Fullness, whether you're listening in through your earpiece, in your car or in your home or through our YouTube channel, as always, you are most welcome. We have an awesome guest on our podcast today. We do indeed. Really? We do. Yes. Well, <laughs> I, you know, I, I was just thinking, we Who's said that? awesome. I, 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 don't, I don't know if we've ever described any of our other guests as awesome. Like well, this it's, is, it's, you know, this is, you know, new guests, new a, year, we're starting <laughs> off epic. <laughs> Uh, so uh, we do indeed have a wonderful guest, uh, Dr. Matthew Tan. Matthew is a, a colleague of mine and, uh, and a, a very good friend. He is the Dean of Studies here at uh, Viani College at the seminary. And uh, we, um, we worked together last year uh, and uh, we still work together uh, as, as part of the teaching faculty. And, um, and many more years to come. And I many hope. more years to come, <laughs> we hope. That's right. Uh, and so uh, uh, you've... now. In terms of your studies, you've got, I think, I think a, a licentiate in, in theology. I do indeed. And uh, as well as a doctorate in theology as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you put both of these to excellent use in your teaching and also in your, uh, your writing. You write for academic journals, but you also write for the blogosphere. And uh, you might have encountered uh, Matthew at uh, uh, Awkward Asian Theologian, uh, which is an excellent blog. I recommend it to you. It's... Matthew, could you just uh, sort of briefly share your story with us? Yeah, sure. So um, I was uh, born in Singapore, spent about half my life in Singapore before um, moving with my parents to Queensland. Um, And it was there that I did my schooling, my university studies, um, finished my doctorate um, over in Queensland and um, was also offered a scholarship to study um, in the Angelicum in Rome. So I went there for two years. Then I got offered a job to teach at Campion College um, over in Sydney. And so following my studies, I moved back to Australia, um, then moved to Sydney and taught in Sydney for about 10 years. And then in between, I also did a little stint um, in Chicago in the U.S., um, so I've lived in um, in Europe, I've lived in America, but most of my working life has been in Sydney, and it's only this year that I've started working um, for the seminary here in Wagga. Yeah, mm. yeah, for sure, for sure. So well, one of the things I, I'd just be keen to ask as well is, as you grew up and, and sort of took ownership of your faith, was there anything mm-hmm. that, that uh, kind of convicted you of the Christian faith? It was like, yeah, you know what, I'm going to stick with this thing. If there was one thing that I... Uh, could say, you know, made me commit, it probably would have been the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. Um, It was the realization of the, what exactly the real presence meant and what its implications were that kind of made me think, you know what, there is um, 
you know, there is much more um, to the Christian faith than just a series of claims. It really was about an abiding presence of Jesus Christ and um, realizing that I needed it, um, mm. realizing over mm. and over again. And when, when did this sort of realization happen for you? Was it a gradual thing? It was was a there a particular gr- moment? Like what, what sort of? I, I think it, it, the, it, it, it did come gradually, um, but I, I can remember a distinct moment um, when I was at the Eucharist and finally realizing you know, that you know, Jesus Christ was, um, you know, was standing there before, well, you know, mm-hmm. standing is figuratively before <laughs> me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was at it was at a, a, a Eucharist in one of the um, one of the churches over in Brisbane. I probably was in my probably my mid to mid twenties mm-hmm. when I suddenly when I finally realized um, you know the full implications of it. Mm. That's really awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Um, so you know your 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 Christian faith sort of informs your your academic life and. Uh, one of the articles that you wrote last year caught my eye uh, when I was teaching Christology, and uh, it was uh, entitled "Pornography and Christology." Mm. And uh, it, it initially, the title made me raise my eyebrows mm. because you don't immediately put together these two. At least I hadn't put these two things together for our listeners. Uh, Christology, would you be able to just give a bit of an explanation for that? Well, you are the lecturer in Christology. I think you can give a better explanation <laughs> uh, than back. I can. <laughs> I'm just a dean. <laughs> Christology is the study of Jesus Christ. There you go. No. No, I know, right? <laughs> uh, the incarnation, the saving mm. work, all of Everything about Christ's life and existence is studied in and the implications of that for your life. For the for us, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Uh, so and and so I, I admit I raised my eyebrows at it. Yes, and <laughs> that was the hope he said. <laughs> you do that with your titles, though, don't you? That's oh, very yes. deliberate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Once I read it, uh, I, I was more convinced than ever that Christology is essential to addressing the cultural scourge that is pornography. Mm. Uh, so could you summarise for us what the article was about? Sure. Um, if I had... To, the article took on, had two, um, you know, two elements of uh, uh, argumentation. So the first one was uh, to put forward the, you know, the claim that ran counter to what, uh, you know what we often associate with pornography, um, which is, um, which is sex. Right? Yeah. We always think that pornography equals sex. Yeah. And yeah. one of the claims I didn't use it, put it in so many words in the article itself. Um, but what I did say was that um, the first thing about pornography is that it's not about sex. Mm. Um, and one of the uh, arguments that I uh, put forward was a metaphysical one. So metaphysics being the a branch of philosophy that deals with reality. Yep. Um, and I basically said that if you look at um, pornography, pornography works with a particular um, philosophy in mind. And this philosophy in mind was a philosophy known as possibilism. Possibilism is the idea that reality is not to be found in what is actual, mm. but is to be found in what can be. 
Yeah. Um, so you look to the potential of something um, as the grounds of reality rather than actuality itself, what sure. is right in front of you. Sure. And so um, bringing that philosophical argument to the cultural phenomenon of pornography, I put forward the argument that pornography is not about actual sex. It is more uh, about the kinds of sex that may be had, potentially be had, yep. um, by the viewer in um, viewing the screen. Mm. Yeah. So mm. yeah. So I mean, to to so to to reiterate, it's not about the sex taking place behind the screen. It's actually more about the sex that can be had by the viewer in front of the screen. Sure. Sure. So. Um, it's it's sort of like the prioritizing of a fantasy over reality. That's right. Yep. It's it's prioritizing um, what can be over yep. what actually is sure. right in front of you. Sure. Um, so you know to to use um, Thomas Aquinas and and um, uh, you know a lot of a lot of uh, that article presumes a, a, a bit of knowledge about Thomas Aquinas. Aquinas talked about the what he called the priority of um, actuality or act over potency, which is probability, a uh, possibility. Um, and I've basically put forward the argument that our culture today, postmodern culture, um, flips that priority such that it regards possibility as something that is more real than actual reality itself. So it prioritizes the possible over the actual. It prioritizes fantasy over reality. But more imp importantly, it prioritizes the virtual um, over the tactile. Okay, mm. all right. When you say the virtual, you're not using that so much in relation to the term virtual reality, though. Or, or, or is it in relation to virtual reality? It is connected to virtual reality because um, if if you work on the idea that what can be, right? But if you work on this metaphysics that what what is possible is more real than what um, actually is right in front of you, right? You you actually are uh, a hop, skip, and a jump away from basically saying that reality is um, in essentially virtual. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. it's essentially virtual. Um, and so that virtual reality is actually much more real, much more um, intense and visceral an experience um, than, uh, you know, the actual tactile reality that is in you know, in front of you right now. So I wind up investing in what could be instead of in life itself. That's right. That's right. And and you see, you know, you see this oper in operation not just in pornography. I mean, part of the other argument that I put forward is that um, you know, pornography only works if you have a culture um, sustaining it, a culture that um, in of itself prioritizes the possible over the actual the and the virtual over the tactile. Sure. Mm. Sure. So uh, whilst we're on that then, what might be some other areas in the culture that you can see where this actually plays out? Yeah. Uh, one way, one thing that I, co I constantly like look at is this focus upon um, unlocking the potential of um, certain things or certain people. You know how sometimes it's become a bit of a catch cry, right? So don't look at the thing now. Look at... Uh, right, look at right. look at that potential, right? Yeah. So much potential, we mm -hmm, always say, mm -hmm. right? Um, which has become a bit of a hashtag, really, right? Sure. We we always look at we always look at everything, and just go at so much potential, and as if that was 
um, you know, that was something that was the reality of, you know, of the state of affairs rather than what is actually in front of you right yeah. now. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. the other one that is often uh, that is often bandied about too um, is one of my favorite ones is um, the best version of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Right. I'm, I, 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 I have a little bit of a bugbear with it because if it really was the best version of yourself, then why aren't you that version right now? And the only reason why you're not that right now is because um, you you actually have not yet attained that particular state of affairs, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So it's a potential state of affairs. Sure. Yeah. Sure. That's yeah, okay. and then of course this of course is is then replicated in in all sorts of small little um, practices, and the most um, uh, common experience of this is in the act of shopping, right? Yeah, like yeah. I'm Singaporean, right? I was I was born <laughs> I was born in a nation of shoppers, sure. and and so you know um, uh, you know shopping is in my DNA. But one of the things that I found out that was actually in my DNA was that the act of shopping really is not about, um, it's really not about the thing that you end up buying. It's really more about the thrill of the chase, mm. sure. right? Um, so much so that, you know, the, that when you actually get the thing, and this is the thing that I often um, experience, which is buyer's remorse, yeah. <laughs> right? Once you actually have the thing in front of you, it, it somehow ends up being second best, mm-hmm. right? It ends up being something that was um, subpar to the actual act of chasing that next potential, um, you know, potential buy. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Supermarket freedom, keeping all options open. Mm. Yeah. Mm. No, yeah. that's right. That's right. Yeah. I say this as someone who also just did an act of online shopping today. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm not saying this as a, I'm not saying this as a uh, you know a, a, as a, a Snow White innocent and pure um, critic. I say this as someone who is deeply implicated um, in this metaphysics mm. of possibility. And I'm part of the the argument there is that the reason why porn works and the reason why porn is so um, uh, prolific is precisely because we are caught up in a culture um, where every one of us. Um, is prioritizing possibility over actuality um, in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. All of us are doing it, yeah. Yeah. Mm. even in our best versions of ourselves. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I have yeah. two questions that come to mind. Um, the first is, I did listen to a previous podcast of yours that you did on life and faith, I think it was, mm-hmm. um, and you were talking about this problem that we have in relation to relationships. So, like when we create a list that we want in our potential spouse Mm. you know that being one of the ways that this problem sort of plays out can you just walk us through that example yeah sure um how that might look and what we could actually do to combat that mm, yeah sure so i i just just for the sake of context um uh i i looked at the checklist what i call the checklist approach to relationships um as one of the out, cultural outflows of this metaphysics of prioritizing possibility over actuality. Um, one of the 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 cultural um, twists, if I were to if I have to uh, put a word on it, one of the twists ab- about um, uh, this metaphysics of possibility over actuality 
um, is that it doesn't uh, only prioritize over uh, prioritize the possible over the actual, um, but it also uh, prioritizes um, a series of abstracts over the concrete. Uh, and one of the ways in which these abstracts um, play itself out, you know, in real life, is in um, turning persons, concrete persons, into a set of traits and characteristics that you can then just tick off in a in a checklist. Um, and you do this um, with spouses and you do this in relationships as well, but you also do it in all of our human relationships. Um, and again, um, I say this as someone who actually is deeply implicated in this checklist mentality um, to our relationships. We do this with our friends. We do this with our family members. Um, you know, we do this with our, with our, with our pets, right? I mean, not to say that pets are persons, but you know, we do, we, we, we treat them in this pretty much the same way. Um, and what is happening is that we're just taking these abstract concepts of what we think a person ought to be and then foisting it upon um, this concrete flesh and blood reality um, of a person in front of you so that you, you judge the person's worth not by what is present in front of you but what you wanted that person to be as is listed or stated in these list of traits and characteristics that you take off in a checklist. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 Did that answer your, yeah, your question? And, yeah. and I guess the, the struggle that I have is mm. that someone might hear what you're saying and go, well, knee-jerk reaction, let's chuck the list away altogether. Mm -hmm. And along with it, let's chuck the standard that mm. I uphold mm. for any relationship that I might enter into. Yeah. Because, you know, that is all um, in the one box and that sounds like it's unhealthy so i'm just going to get rid of the whole thing mm, that mm. doesn't sit well with me sure <laughs> because our standards shouldn't be um we shouldn't let go of our standards sure yeah because that um it's sort of founded on our values and what we want and what we deem to be healthy mm -hmm. in relationships so where where does the you know where's the line <laughs> yeah so to speak or how do we differentiate no no that's a that's a good that's a fair question i think um part of the I think part of the reason why I, you know, why I focus on that checklist mentality is precisely because of the abstractness um, of uh, the the list of traits and characteristics, um, and expecting expecting people to actually live up to those traits and characteristics, um, rather than um, rather than actually encouraging a person to live out a particular way of life that can be embodied right I think mean, I think part of the part of the the thing about having you know it's not to say that that not having a checklist means not having standards mm. I think there should be standards mm -hmm. right in when it comes to relationships um, it's just that when you um, turn it into a list of abstracts very often the concrete person, may not be able to live up to those abstracts yeah, yeah. right um, whereas if you were to look at the you know look at the relationship in terms of an embodied person mm. um, what you then start looking for is not so much standards like a standard as this sort of like abstract principle abstract formula does this person match the formula kind of thing rather um, you then ask whether this person actually embodies um, you know certain 
well, how should I put it? Um, certain virtues, yes, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, certain ways of life yeah. um, that you that you find attractive. Now, when you frame it in those terms, mm -hmm. it no longer becomes a checklist, mm -hmm. right? It no longer becomes abstract. Yeah. You're dealing um, with the person. You're actually yeah. dealing with the reality of the person that is in yeah. front of yes. you. Often, the, the um, a checklist, an abstract checklist mentality. Um, just thinking about the way that you're framing it, mm. a checklist mentality could actually have a detrimental effect to the upholding of standards. Mm -hmm. um, in, in, in so far as, so that my um, my standards for a wife, I mean, obviously, I'm married. <laughs> I'm just, just it's good to clarify that. I just thought I'd stick that out there. Uh, so, you know, my, my standards for... You hear it here, for, here first, folks. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Father Sean is off the market. <laughs> Um, so, so that my standards were, you know, um, um, sort of must be Catholic, mm. um, must desire uh, to, to wait till marriage, until sex, must be um, responsible in terms of, of money and that sort of thing. Mm. You know, like, like say that those are my, those are some of my checklists. Mm. If somebody meets the checklist, oh, excellent, meets the checklist. I've gotten to see that they meet my checklist, but perhaps without actually getting to know them thoroughly. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's they they yeah. they meet the checklist, mm. but I've not actually met them. I've not actually gotten to know who they are. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. So it, it it runs the risk of actually obstructing or obscuring uh, whether or not this person does actually embody the standards. That I hold dear, mm. because they've <clears throat> they've measured up to an abstract uh, checklist, you know. So uh, just because somebody is Catholic doesn't actually mean that they embody no. what it is to be Catholic. Mm. So so does that, you know? Absolutely. Is is uh, so? I think that's that's. Um, that's a, that's, it's, a, it's a valid point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. just to go, you know, just to use that that one um, example, which is often used, um, you know, by by um, people left, right, and center, by Catholics left, right, and center, must be Catholic. Okay, I mean, that's 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 a fair call. What exactly does that mean? Right. What right. exactly does that mean for that person's life? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Especially. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How does that person live out right his um, you know, his or her Catholic faith. Yes, mm. yes. Right. And, you know, lo and behold, you may actually find that how one person lives out his or her Catholic faith may not actually be the standard that you're looking for. Yes, exactly. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, and then do, I mean, and then there's, there's I know there's other um, standards that, mm. that you mentioned as well, like say not having sex, for, you know, saving sex for marriage. Say the person saves sex for marriage, but then is, a, is also manipulative and controlling. Mm. Right. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. I mean, okay. Yes, he's manipulative and controlling, but at least he's a virgin. <laughs> I mean, again, right? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I hear your point. Like, if, mm. if the checklist is only about certain physical characteristics mm -hmm. or certain actions and behaviours, mm. <laughs> you've kind of lost the plot. Right. I mean, yeah. We're not right. actually talking about what we're truly desiring. Mm. And you said before that we're actually attracted to. Because you can have a checklist that seems attractive, yeah. 
mm. but you're actually not drawn to. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. You know, it might be yeah, something that you know you think is is what you want, but not necessarily what you're actually drawn to. So yeah. you've got to know no, yourself right. to be able to have that standard to begin with. That's right. Know? And they may not be able to actually um, you know articulate what exactly that standard could be until you actually see yes. the person yes. that's actually in front of you yes. embodying those very um, yes. standards. Like you say, for instance, one, one standard as often talked about is uh, emotional compatibility. What does emotional compatibility mean? Right. Yeah. right? Um, you know, what, how does that person live out that emotional compatibility yes. with, another, with another concrete person? Mm. So again, mm. right? Um, it becomes a fairly abstract and very hollow sounding um, um, thing when all you have is just this list of, che- uh, sorry, this checklist to um, tick off when you want to judge, you know, whether a friend uh, or even a potential spouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, sure. Just to, to take the conversation from the possible <coughs> and the actual and to to move it to, to, um, to further points, which is, number one, what do you think, I mean, you've already answered this to some degree, to some measure, um, but you, you've kind of accounted for the addictiveness of pornography being that it fulfills the fantasy, the fantasy drive, as it were, mm. that's why it's so appealing. Mm. How does that sort of, how do you see that matching up with the present work that's being done in the area of pornography, because a lot of the work that we've got that's going on, and, and it's for the most part, it's quite good work mm. that's going on, mm. uh, which is um, focusing on the biological reality of pornography. That you know, it's, for instance, the neuroscientific realities that we face, mm-hmm. uh, and and also the the uh, the moral serious moral dilemma of of, of pornography as well. Uh, you know the, the the sort of um, the confusion of love and use and all of that. Mm. Um, how do you see this cultural um, expose yep. matching up with some of that work that's being done? Sure. I guess uh, uh, if there's one like point of contact that what I hope to be doing in my uh, research on pornography and other forms of research um, on pornography is that it also, it, is that it looks at um, pornography not as some kind of standalone cultural artifact that sits um, you know, distinct and far away from all of the other cultural practices that we ourselves are, co- are caught up in, even the most virtuous of us. Right, my my the point that I want to make in my research um, is that pornography only makes sense when you understand that it is an extension of a lot of um, things that are already operating in our culture and um, things that all of us are caught up in. Mm. So none of us are innocent. No. Right? No. Um, so I mean the the uh, if if there is anything that I hope to do in the uh, in the course of doing this research, it is to sort of um, counter the sort of smug um, attitude that says because I don't uh, engage in the use of pornography and don't talk about pornography or promote it, I therefore am this virtuous citizen, and then I go about treating people, um, you know, like um, you know, like. 
uh, items off a checklist. Mm. Right. Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and and so the idea then is to just sort of try and mesh, um, you know, pornography as a cultural artifact with the whole network of cultural practices that are already at play, and then at another level, also try and um, get to some of the more theoretical um, underpinnings. Um, for those cultural practices, um, and at the same time try and you know bring them out in the open, um, because they may be things that we ourselves are not um, all that aware of that they are operating. I think what the article does well then is to actually pinpoint the it, it drops a sort of a they drop a pin on the map, mm. sort of drops a moral pin in a certain sense. Um, in the, in, in the sense that it sort of pins down, um, without explicitly doing this, mm. it sort of pins down pride as mm-hmm. the, 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 the root of all evil. Uh, you know, it's, it's um, uh, we, we are all engaged, as you say, in some way in the prioritization of the, of the, the, the possible, what is, mm. what is possible over the actual, mm-hmm. the fantasy over the real. Mm. Uh, and, and so, um, you know the 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 notion that uh, because we've sort of built up the sin of 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 um, lust as just so bad, yeah. mm-hmm. we've built it up as it's just it's just so bad. You know, and and look, don't get me yeah. wrong here. I don't want to be like ah, <laughs> whatever. I don't I don't want to be to 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 say that it isn't a bad thing. Yeah, but we've mm. but we've but we've built it up in such a that it is such a horrid thing. That we've actually forgotten, I think, mm-hmm. that what starts before lust is is pride. Mm. You know, is thinking that 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 oh, that's not me, mm. so I'm okay. Mm. Actually, we all have a part, we all have a part to play in this. Mm. Mm. You know, we've we've created a culture where where we prefer the the the, the fantasy to the real. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all have some part to play in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we encourage that. Right, right, right. Exactly. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Can I just go on a little bit of a tangent here? Tangent away, man. Yeah, I mean, um, you, we talked about the vice of pride as one of the um, underpinning uh, drivers for a whole range of sins, including you know, all sins that uh, violate the sixth commandment. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that um, my that article does not deal with, but I think has a role to play, mm. um, is also not just the vice of lust and we, we tend to think about pornography as uh, primarily about uh, the indulging of the vice of, of lust. Mm. When in actual fact, and this is just, this is just me uh, with unsubstantiated research um, sure, sure. talking, uh, when in actual fact, I actually think that it is actually the vice of sloth mm. um, that is at play here. In a, a course on... Uh, ethics and the family that we that I teach here in um, the seminary, I introduce seminarians to um, to the vice of sloth, not as a vice that is often associated with laziness, right? Wherein you know productivity is the kind of mm. um, is the kind of cure, right? Sure. Rather, I actually um, sort of talked about the vice of sloth as precisely uh, that indulgence in fantasy that you just mentioned, right? Because at its heart, sloth is not about um, being lazy. At its heart, um, sloth is about the avoidance of what you are meant to do, 
right? And um, so I, I was using this book by uh, a philosopher named um, R.J. Snell, um, and I'm paraphrasing um, that, that one pithy line um, that he uses in um, uh, that text, where he says that sloth rejects what is in favor of what is not. And in other words, is it rejects what is in front of us, what we are meant to do, what is the reality in front of us, in favor of some kind of fantasy that we indulge in. We think of ourselves as being something other than what the situation, the reality demands of us, yeah. right? And um, and and pornography plays into that, mm. right? Because um, pornography is, uh, in a way, a a, a form of denial of reality, yeah. right? So yeah. I, I talked about how um, porn is not about about sex. One of the other things that I also uh, am working on, a theme that I'm working on, is this idea that porn is not erotic. Mm. Right? Mm. And by this I mean that we often think that um, we often think that that porn is actually used as a means to um, indulge in. Um, and an erotic experience, and that is the aim of the use of pornography. When the the research seems to suggest that pornography very often is used as a, a means of anesthesia, it's a means mm. of avoidance of a whole range of wounds, of injuries, of anxieties and insecurities that we'd rather not feel. Sure, right? sure. So um, rather than face the wound, the insecurity, Right, which is the reality in front of us. Rather than face that, we 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 favor some other kind of fantasy where we don't have to deal with that. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So, with that being the case, then, mm. um, what does Christology have to do with the problem of pornography? Yep. Okay. So there's there's kind of like two two sides to this argument, right? Um, the first side to the argument. Um, relates to the point that I made earlier regarding um, regarding pornography as a means of not feeling or avoiding something. Um, you can put it more positively, right? And and, and this is where the, Christ, the Christological dimension comes in. When we um, uh, engage in the use of um, pornography, um, we are also wanting not just the not just the erotic thrill, right? There's actually something more at play um, than just the erotic thrill. And again, it goes off this, um, uh, this anecdotal evidence that we do not primarily use pornography uh, for the erotic tr thrill, right? We're using it as a means to escape from something. Um, and this escaping from something has a... Um, uh, has a Christological dimension precisely because when we talk about the Christological, we talk about uh, a moment of redemption, a moment of being saved from something, being delivered from something. And pornography has this Christological dimension, I argue, insofar as pornography delivers us from the burden of having to face whatever painful reality um, that most porn users face. Um, so that is the you know that is the the the, the critical dimension of Christology. Um, the other dimension of Christology is that if you understand that 
um, pornography is a form of redemption, right? It's a postmodern form of redemption, uh, whereby we use um, erotic thrills as a means to cover up or deliver us from painful realities. Then understanding or finding a response to the problem of pornography will also have to, I suppose, tackle, engage, um, unpack um, what a proper Christology looks like. Right? And a proper Christology um, uh, must have at its heart um, the person of Jesus Christ. Right? And so that's the, that's the constructive part of the argument, yeah. um, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So pornography offers a false satirion. Soteriology. Sorry, I just I, I, I was about to use that word and mm. realised. Okay. Saving it's logic, saving, saving yeah, work. Saving, exactly, saving logic. Mm. So it, it offers a, a, a false saving logic. Mm. And I've, I've often, um, when I've spoken to, to, to young men about this issue, I've often likened um, uh, pornography to like the worst roommate you've ever had in your life. Uh, who makes all these swell promises about I'll pay my rent on time and I won't break all your things, I swear. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you discover that the rent's not been paid for like three months and all your stuff is broken. You know, and, and even the remote controls don't have batteries anymore. Mm. Like, you know, it's, it's, everything's been pillaged. Mm. No promises have been delivered. Mm. Uh, so it's sort of a false messiah mm. uh, in, in, in pornography that swears black and blue, oh, look, everything's going to be great. Yep. Uh, but then never delivers. Uh, and and um, and strangely, um, or perhaps not so strangely, I, I suppose, when, when one favours the the deliverance from the actual to indulge in the potential, mm -hmm. um, it's it's we go back to this 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 false promise again and again and again. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so I, I guess um, uh, the. The question now sort of comes to um, this is the theory, um, or this is the the, the underpinning, mm. sort of the practical aspect. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, if there is one one practical contact point, um, you know, you 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 put it quite well that we you know we go back to this failed promise again and again, um, and. If there was a practical contact point um, that you know uh, that touches on that very theme, it's the idea of memory. Like, why do we why do we go back to the thing that we knew was going to fail us over and over again? A lot of it has to do with the fact that it's basically what we remember, right? And we go back to what is familiar, right? What is re what is remembered is what is familiar, and what is familiar is comfortable. Yeah, yeah. That's a right. That's important. That, that's um, an important point. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you yeah. know, and and part of the reason why we go back to all of these, you know, failed messiahs, and that's essentially what pornography is. Pornography mm. is a failed messiah, yeah, right, uh, or a false messiah, mm. right, because it fails, yeah, um, to yeah. to to fulfill its function as mm. a messiah, right, mm. um, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that. We have these, we have these kind of like wounded memories, um, and that wounded memory um, causes us to turn back to the thing that has it been constantly failing us. Mm. Um, 
you know, and and what you know, what kind of breaks the cycle, right? What breaks this? What breaks this cycle is is a new memory, mm. right? A new memory that you know that ba- that basically does, uh, uh, wherein a Messiah comes in and fulfills that function of mas- yeah. uh, of yeah. Messiah, mm. right? And and that of course, right. Um, uh, can only be found in Jesus Christ, and which yeah. is part of the reason why I say that what um, you know saves us from the failed Christology of pornography mm. is the the language of uh, you know of a true Christology, mm. right? Which is to be found in the um, incarnate Word. Yeah, yeah. So, so why why does Christ fulfill that function of Messiah yeah. in a way that um, you know in a way that pornography with its prioritization of Fantasy or possibility over actuality and the concrete um, is is precisely because when we think about Christ as the um, you know we 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 tend to think about Christ as just Jesus of Nazareth as the guy that lived two thousand years ago mm-hmm. in Palestine and has na- absolutely nothing to do with us right yeah. but if you go back two thousand years ago there were these um, you know there were these dudes right we call them the church fathers. Who, um, dudes, who who spoke about um, about Jesus of Nazareth also as uh, this pithy title called the Divine Word, mm. right, um, and the Incarnate Word. Now, wh- why did they um, talk about this idea of the Incarnate Word or the Divine Logos, right? They use the Greek term, mm. right? Um, the Divine Word is, you know, for the Church Fathers. Um, was not just a, a guy who lived a long time ago. He was the source of all I- divine ideas, right? Yeah. And so every everything that that does exist, and everything that could exist, possibility, mm. right, is to be found in this divine word. And this divine word didn't just remain divine. Right, as Scripture says that um, you know that God emptied Himself to be to take the form of of, of a man, mm. right? Jesus of Nazareth, right? And so, in becoming incarnate, in becoming a person of Jesus of Nazareth, those um, you know all all those ideas, all those potential concepts, are now embodied in a flesh and blood actuality, yeah. right? And and so Jesus Christ is. Um, the you know the Christ figure, the Messiah, right? That counters the false Messiah of pornography, mm. precisely because whilst pornography um, kind of leaves everything in the in potency in the potential, Jesus Christ delivers all that potential in the actual. He is the convergence of both um, all that can be yeah. with all that is. Right, and and in so far as we have this memory, right, Jesus Christ comes to us, um, you know, in the form of a memory, right, a memory that we, um, you know, that we live through from in our baptism, mm. right, in our baptism we remember um, Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, right. We are inserted into Christ's memory, and in so far as we are inserted into Christ's memory, that memory. Can help counter the wounded memory mm. of the porn user. Yeah, yeah, that's that's incredible. That's 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 marvelous. Yeah, 
Yeah. And did that make sense? No, it did. Okay. It made a lot of sense. In, in the context of, of um, uh, sort of human formation, which is, which is I mean, we, one of the terms that, that, that we've lived and breathed for, mm. for, for, for a long time mm. uh, in, in terms of, of, of um, seminary formation, it requires multiple facets or multiple approaches mm. for that memory to actually have mm. that healing effect. Like it's, it's um, one of the things that I, I'm, I'm thinking of is that, um, you know, I'm, I'm very critical um, when I hear people tell me that the advice that they received in confession was, well, you just pray and everything's going to mm. be okay. Mm. Do, do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, mm. it's, um, as far as advice goes for this for this issue, it's like well, well okay, prayer is going to be an essential component of getting to know Jesus Christ, and therefore an essential component of of being inserted into the memory of Christ. Mm. You know, it's it's one can't do it without prayer because otherwise yep. you can't get to know the Lord. Yeah. Um, uh, but also, um, grace builds on nature, so also I have to get right the the. Um, that there, there may be certain psychological wounds, mm. uh, and and therefore I, I may need some kind of professional professional help, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And, and and it's okay to to, to actually say, uh, you know what, as part of my healing as a human being, mm-hmm. I need to look for some professional help. There's a weakness in that. No, well, yeah. that's right. Yeah. No, that's right. It's 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 it's, it's, it's all part of that dimension that you were talking about before, mm-hmm. which is that the eternal word took on flesh. Mm. And, and therefore, whatever redemption that is carried out is always going to have this necessary human component, mm. um, a necessary fleshly component, because we are not redeemed aside from the humanity of Christ. Mm. Uh, our own humanity has to be formed in such a fashion to be able to receive that. And that, that formation itself is not done without God's grace. That's right. Uh, mm. you know, that, that, is, that is not separate from, 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 from God's work. Mm. Uh, but work does have to be done on the, the, that human dimension, the psychological dimension, the mm-hmm. dimension of habit. You know, all, that's, that's, that's all area that needs to be, needs to be worked on. So that, uh, yeah, that was just the point that I wanted to, to, mm. to make was that I think You've 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 captured the, the the essence of what's required in order to that, that Christ will actually heal that wound, mm-hmm. but it's never just a case of well that means all I have to do is pray. No, yep. no, 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 no. There's 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 more to this than that. There's, mm-hmm. there's dimensions at play where God is going to work with us, mm-hmm. you know, in the psychological realm and in the the you know the emotional realm. Mm-hmm. God is going to be there with us. Uh, and 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 to, to bring us into his own divine life mm. uh, in, in in these 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 various dimensions. Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, um, Jesus Christ comes to heal us in the context of a you know of a of a communion with with Him. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, that communion with Him is also replicated here on this side of heaven, right? right? right. In the various forms of communion. Um, um, that we have with others, and our healing at that level, at the human level, um, can only take place at the level of um, of uh, communion with others, yeah. right? Because 
we can't do this on our own. And and part of the main reason why we can't do this on our own um, is because we have a very, very um, uh, great ability to uh, fool ourselves. Right? <laughs> We're very, very capable of self-deception. Yes, yes. Um, and, yeah. and so that other person is always needed, mm. right? Um, at, a, at a human level to help call us out yeah. in those moments of self-deception. And, and then again, to bring this back to the, to the use of pornography, part of the other reason why pornography um, is as you know, prolific as it is, is precisely because its users are engaging in um, various forms of self-deception. Mm. Right, mm. Um, that it's really about a particular fantasy, or that it's really a, uh, not going to affect me, or it's really not going to affect my relationships with others. Um, the pornography use, right, plays upon various forms of self-deception, um, yeah. and so you, what is really needed is, um, you know, the presence of that other person, mm. right, at a human level, um, to heal us at that human level. Yeah. Yeah, mm. brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Mm. We have one final question for you. Oh, yes. So we'll ask that final question over on the Patreon, over on the Patreon page. page. So for those of you who'd like to join us, jump over to the link in the description mm. box and join our Patreon community where we'll continue the conversation with Dr. Matthew Tan. Um, we'll link a few things below. We'll link uh, Dr. Tan's article. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, show notes. and we'll also link um, a, uh, a uh, website um, called uh, Reclaim uh, Sexual Health, and uh, that website is, is sort of it's a, a resource to assist in that, that human healing that we've been talking about. Uh, and um, uh, we'll uh, um, we'll also link in a couple of other resources as well. But uh, um, yeah. Yeah, and if there's anything that we've discussed today that's rung a bell with anyone and touched anyone, please make sure you talk to someone about yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, the secrecy of this thing is, is it, 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 it can stop us from, from finding real healing. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. so, before we end our episode, as always, we have some fun questions for our guests. Hurrah. So, if you're ready for them, Matt, you've got six random no. questions for you. Well, I won't do that. <laughs> <laughs> do it anyway. We're going to have an alternative if you're not ready. <laughs> Question one for you. Yes. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Oh. That a boy. <laughs> Coffee's <laughs> truth. You can tally. <laughs> 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 exactly what. Uh, what's your favourite TV show right now? My favourite TV show is the anime series Violet Evergarden. Oh, cool, cool. Okay. Um, what's the most out there thing you've ever eaten? Ooh. <laughs> Crickets. Ooh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you had a time machine, would you travel back in time or into the future and to when? I would travel back in time mm -hmm. um, and I would travel back to... Um, let me see. I will probably travel back to the 1100s, and this is this just shows just how much of a nerd I am. <laughs> I'll travel back to the 1100s um, and and approach the um, the Franciscan the Franciscan um, uh, philosopher Dan Scotus 
tap him on his shoulder and basically say, "University, not a good idea." <laughs> <laughs> Leap back into the TARDIS and head back. You'll have solved many, many problems. Come join Patreon to find out what that's about. Uh, so. um, who is your holy crush and why? My holy crush would probably be Benedict Sixteenth. Oh, why? A.K.A. Joseph Ratzinger. Um, it's his brain. <laughs> It's pretty good. That beautiful theological brain. <laughs> it's pretty good, isn't it? It is. Yeah, yeah. It is very alluring. Oh, yeah. uh, and finally, tell us something that is bearing a lot of fruit in your life right now. Hmm. If I had to if I had to put it down to, to one, it probably would be it would be actually be this um um research topic um on um, Christianity and virtuality engagements oh. in you know in virtual culture. I'm I'm um, learning a lot from a, a range of other um, scholars in um, uh, theology and and digitality, mm-hmm. um, and at the same time, it is also you know showing me just how implicated I am. Yep. Um, in a lot of the, you know, in a lot of the cultures, in a lot of the, um, uh, you know, the 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 ill effects, you know, that that culture has, and my, you know, I'm learning a lot about myself in um, uh, in how I am caught up in it, and you know, some, sometimes I would only say sometimes catching myself, um, um, you know. Thinking you're actually doing, you know, you're actually doing, you know, doing this thing that you are doing uh, research upon. Do you really want to do that? Now, uh, again, most often I will actually say yes and <laughs> do it anyway. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sure. But having said that, even just knowing that that is at play is half the battle. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. So that yeah, has been quite yeah. fruitful. Self knowledge, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, um, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, oh, thank Matthew you for having me. And uh, it's, it's been a, a fantastic conversation on a really important topic. And um, uh, if you'd like to find out uh, more about Matthew and, and see more of his content, then uh, look for the, uh, his, his blog, uh, Awkward Asian Theologian. And uh, the, uh, you, you'll find a lot of great stuff there. So uh, head on over to, uh, to, to, to that blog. And um, uh, as always... Thank you so much for joining us this week on Living Fullness. We hope that in this episode there was something useful or helpful or something that blessed your life. If that is the case, would you please consider sharing this podcast with someone? Perhaps it will bless their lives too. Please also subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review so that others can find the podcast too. And join us over on our social media. Living Fullness on Instagram and Virtue Ministry on Facebook.